Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilson. I am your host today and we are recording after Manchester United lost 4-0 to Brighton at the MX Stadium on Saturday afternoon. We were just joking before we got on air that we've had a lot of post-mortems this season and my colleague Tyrell Marshall as you said well surely the body is already dead now. It's very much the case at United. It's been a miserable season. Samuel how are you? You were there at the MX on Saturday? Yep very well thank you. Yeah yeah it was a uh, it was, it was pretty, I mean, morbidly fascinating again, as it, as it has been for, for most of this season. Yeah, and Ty, how are you? Uh, yeah, just about recovered from a, a long trip to uh, to Brighton. I mean, it's a good trip, nice place to go. But yeah, like Samuel says, it was it was a weird experience being in that press box on, on Saturday, almost wanting it to get worse just so they could get it all, all <laughs> out of their systems. I don't think any of us actually wanted United to score and put any gloss on it in the end. Season couldn't end quick enough, could it? It really couldn't. Um, Samuel, just get straight into it then. Um, I just want to know really what your instant reaction was leaving the stadium on Saturday. And we've talked about these low points in the season. Was that the lowest point of the season? There's been so many. Well, well, at the end of the game, uh, Ty and I had to stand up because the Brighton supporters were uh, in front of us and they rose their feet to give their players a thoroughly deserved standing ovation. We're in the front row of the press box and we were just trying to you know, see what the United players were up to at, at full time uh, for extra colour. And retrospectively, it was as if we were like like two police officers, two detectives who had just turned up to a crime scene. Uh, sorry, a, a homicide, a, a grisly murder uh, with all these body parts everywhere, blood everywhere. And they've, they've conceded four goals, I think, in six games this season. So we are one short of, of, of seven. So we, it's almost like we're Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt coming going from one, one uh, grisly death to another. And there's a series of them. And, you know, we don't know, we don't know what to make of it. I, I suspect the difference will be that there won't be, uh, unlike in seven, a twist this season. It's not like United can salvage the situation I mean seven ends on a pretty downbeat note for spoiler alert there if anyone somehow hasn't seen it uh, but this is probably you know so this has been pretty much in keeping United season with the, the downbeat nature of, of that film and it, it as I said it, it is just morbidly fascinating watching a team that at the start of the season were, were intended title challenges would be title challenges for it to come to this, it's it is astonishing. Um, I, I don't think it's as complicated as as some have made out, but for it to have spiraled the way it has, it, it is extraordinary. It's it's the worst Man United team I've ever seen. Uh, people who are much older than me, it's the worst Man United team they've ever seen. The fact that the supporters again chanted, "You're not fit to wear the shirt." was significant it was more significant than it was against Norwich because at Norwich against Norwich it was a pretty toxic atmosphere that day because of the protests but they did pick up and they did win that game eventually when it comes from the away support who are the most reliable gauge of what the fan base is is feeling uh, for that to have happened uh, it has to be a watershed moment and th- this season has been a disaster as as for the performance on Saturday, you know, when when I'm writing these uh, inquests, these these obituaries, if you like, that there's the, the tactical element of it, it. It doesn't feel particularly important because it's just it's just the basics. Have you got the desire? Have you got the work ethic? 
And for a lot of them on on Saturday, the answer was no. It was striking after the second goal went in. The one who seemed the most alert and up for restarting the game was Cavani, who you know he's look he's he's had all the get up of of a, of a resident in a retirement home all season. You, you, that's that is as galling as it gets, really. Um, a supporter sent me a picture of fans at Farmer Station, which is, if you've been to Brighton's ground, is, is just outside the stadium. And they were about to uh, about to board the 1901. Bearing in mind, the game finished at about 20 past seven, I think it was. So there was still best part of a quarter to go of the game, but they'd already left. Um, another fan sent me a video of United supporters on the concourse because they'd retreated there to go for a pint and a sing-song. And that was at 3-0, so they were down there whilst the fourth fourth goal was scored the the disconnect between the players and the supporters has has never been greater um and there's going to be a hell of a lot of healing that has to uh, happen in the coming coming weeks and months and in order to do that you've just got to get shot of the majority of these players um i mean we it's, it's got to the point now with rangnick where we just need to say look ralph come on just name names, just, you know, throw him, him and him under the bus because we're at that point now. What is the point? There's there's nothing more for him to lose. He's cut loose a fair few times. But you go through that team on Saturday. Dallow, I don't think, lacks for commitment, but he does lack for quality. Tellez lacks both. He, as long as he gets his quota of games to get in the Brazil squad, he's content. That's not good enough for Man United. Lindelof jogs. He doesn't run. He doesn't even sprint. Varane is the latest signing who seems to have been afflicted with Marchiitis, um, you know, Di Maria, Falcao, Sanchez, Schweinsteiger, Ibrahimovic, second season, Van der Beek to a lesser extent. I'm sure I've forgotten someone. Pogba. Um, McTominay has just been overplayed. He is a squad player. Elanga has been overplayed. He is a squad player at best. Um, Matic has checked out. Mata is checking out. Fernandez has lowered expectations and raised his salary. I mean, he, he as a captain is is probably worse than Antonio Valencia. He is that bad. He he, he offers absolutely nothing as a captain. And again, another, another supporter I spoke to on, on Saturday said that when they were defending a corner towards the end of the first half, he was just moaning. He wasn't defending. He was just complaining. And Ty noticed that he was complaining again at some point in the game to the referee. Was it after the fourth goal or something yeah. like that? Um just, just absolutely disgraceful that the club gave him a pay rise when he was playing badly. And then since he got that pay rise, he's played worse. And the interesting thing um, about the supporters was that they were very they were very effective with their messaging on Saturday, whether it was chanting Solskjaer's name, which was just out of solidarity, as if to say, we feel really sorry for you to have had to manage uh, this bunch here, even though he's, he's heavily culpable for it. But they were also chanting Ronaldo's name towards the end of the game, as if to say... To, to, just to make it clear to all of you out there, he's absolved of this. He's an exemption because he's actually turned up this season. The rest of you haven't. Have, have you even got it in you to turn it up next season? So it, it was fascinating to observe it all there, um, being present, being live. It's a long way to go for us, of course, but we're going to Crystal Palace uh, next week as well, which, um, you know, there's a hell of a lot riding on the final day of the season. There could be, uh, the title race could go to the wire, relegation could go to the wire, top four could go to the right wire. Um, Selhurst Park is not the place to be, but 
there tends to be a freakish result on the final day involving a nothing game, whether it's Stoke 6, Liverpool 1 in 2015. I think the following year, Newcastle thrashed Tottenham, was it 5-0? And Newcastle had been relegated. Uh, City were annihilated. Was 8-0 by Middlesbrough or 8-1 by Middlesbrough in 2008? I think Crystal Palace have got it in them to pummel United, irrespective of the team that Rangnick puts out, whether he actually continues with this very mundane theme of just playing players who shouldn't be playing or putting the kids in. Um, I think Palace have got it in them to really annihilate United and there's every chance that United might end this season with a minus goal difference. There's a little bit of time tie until that Crystal Palace game at Selhurst Park and we've just kind of talked about how Ranjik's drew a bit of praise in recent weeks. He probably is out of his depth. Obviously, the results just haven't been good enough and his tenure's been a failure, but there is a bit of respect from United fans for Ranić because he's starting to be a bit honest in his press conferences. He's starting to call out the players. Ahead of the Crystal Palace game, do you think we can see that? Because they've just chucked the towel in, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Um, I was joking to Samuel on, on Saturday when we were waiting in the mix zone for, for Ranić to come into the, the press conference room, which is right next door, saying we can just put the dictaphones down and just say, off you go. Do we, you know, do we need to ask you a question today? But what I would say as well is that he has become more critical but he, a lot of that, I think he is doing this for effect because he knows it's playing well and it is taking the spotlight off <laughs> what a dreadful coach and manager he's been. So it works to his own benefit. You know, it, it's brilliant for us that he's being critical. A lot of what he says is, is true, but most managers don't say it. And I think he is only saying it and is being as critical as he is because he knows it's playing well. Let's not forget he's being advised by someone who has worked in the media. So and is working in the media very recently. So I think he knows what he's doing and I think he knows that this is taking the spotlight of what a hopeless coach he's been and what, what how hopeless his coaching staff have been because it has been a total disaster. And Sam is right, most of the players have got to take the majority of the blame for this season. It has been a catastrophe. But they've not been helped by the appointments of Ranić. Um, his ideas don't come across. I mean, his assistant, people in America can't believe his assistant has got a job at Man United. Nobody had ever heard of him. And it's just, you know, it's beyond belief. He is on the touchline there. I think it was at 3-0 down that Chris Armour stood up next to Ranić and they were looking at the pitch and pointing to the pitch. And you you almost pitied the players in that instant because it's, you know, it's the blind leading the blind. Um, and it is, you know, it is it is disastrous. It was interesting in his post-match press conference that he said, we struggled in the first half with their wing-backs and how to control their wing-backs. <laughs> and the only time that stopped was when he moved to a back three. So what, what were you doing for 65, 70 minutes, just watching it happen and not influencing it? And it was, it's, you know, there's been similar sort of things all, all season. He said it in, was it, I think it was the Chelsea game where he said we struggled down there right with Mason Mount and Reese James coming on. And he made his changes on 79 minutes. So again, he's watching a tactical disaster and doing nothing about it. And so it's, I mean, thankfully it wasn't too late against Chelsea, but it was too late on Saturday. So I think, you know, Rannick is going to be, absolved of the blame because of his critical messaging but I think some of that is is for effect I mean what they're what they're smoking in Vienna God only knows to, to believe he's the man to take them forward and I think it probably says everything that the best offer he's got after a spell coaching United is the job of the Austrian national team how, how the hell how the hell were United fans even talking about him seriously as a permanent candidate yeah. to play Solskjaer because that was going on as well I think unfortunately 
you know, sometimes we feel it might feel like we're a bit aloof or maybe we should um, educate ourselves more because, oh, this guy's been named and apparently he's a really good coach. But no, I've, I think my instincts are right. Bielsa, another hipster favourite. He's, he, he's going to be heavily responsible if Leeds go down this season. I know that's not going to be a popular opinion in Yorkshire. And Rangnick is a, another coach with a cultish following or had a cultish following. And look at the disaster he's been. Uh, I mean, fortunately, he wasn't made permanent manager. But again, just that that interim appointment was was woeful, woeful. Sorry to cut you off, Ty. No, that's all right. I completely agree. Samuel, you've just talked about Leeds there. And obviously, you've brought that line on Calvin Phillips about United's interest this summer. And United's midfield, I mean, it was non-existent, wasn't it? Never mind overrun. There was just spaces everywhere. It was just completely amateurish. It's, it's bizarre at this point. McTominay had an awful game. Um, is it as simple as a defensive midfielder can kind of fix this midfield? And obviously, there can't be enough departures this year. They quite literally, do you know what I mean? They, so many players that need to leave. Samuel, is a defensive midfielder the biggest priority for United this summer, considering how many players they need to bring in? It is, but they need to improve. To quote that immortal David Moyes tweet, I mean, I can't quote tweet because I think there's more to, to quote than just in that tweet from 2013, but they need an upgrade in Fullback, centre back, midfield, winger, up front, manager. Um, it, even in gold, there's there's an argument for, to be had there. I know that that's not going to be a, a place of priority for a number of reasons because they've got three pretty good goalkeepers. But there's going to be you know, there's there's likely to be an outgoing there. And De Gea, as good as he has been this season, when you compare him against the real top goalkeepers in the world now he he has stood still he's his game has not developed um enough in the last three or four years unfortunately for for him and united but he's he's still had a, a good season because he's been kept very busy i mean with mctominay on saturday i was i've been amazed that he started these last couple of games because i thought he was really really dreadful against chelsea fred's obviously been available Fred should have come on before half time against Brighton. Um, I was I was surprised that Matic was the one who came off. I mean, I, I thought Matic was I mean he was a one man midfield, and when you're up against Caicedo and, and Bissouma, you're not going to win that battle, especially if you're one man midfield. McTomney, I think, committed four fouls in the first fifty minutes and somehow didn't get booked. The referee played up to the crowd with the pathetic booking of Ronaldo, but he should have been booking McTominay. Uh, for, for his repeated fouling. And in doing that, it was almost as if McTominay was saying, yeah, I've got an inferiority complex. I know these guys I'm up against are far better than me. And of course, in a season where anything that can go wrong will go wrong, Moises Caicedo scores against United what, 15 months on from when they were trying to sign him. He only made his debut last month against Arsenal and he started every game since Brighton won four of those um uh, four of those six matches only lost one and the wins have come against Arsenal, Tottenham, Wolves and United. United probably being the easiest scalp of, of all of them but that that is a hell of an introduction to, to Premier League football and he looked a, he looked an excellent player. I mean as I said five million pounds is an absolute steal but they've done that before. Tarek Lamptey only cost three million pounds and he's not even getting in the Brighton team at the moment. Bissouma has been impressive in the Premier League for quite some time Either of those two midfielders would walk into the United team. Um, Lamptey would walk into the United team and he's not even getting in Brighton's 11 at the moment. And just the setup in general at Brighton is for a new build stadium. It's an impressive atmosphere. Most new stadiums that have been built in the last 15 or 20 years 
are pretty soulless. Uh, the Emirates springs to mind in particular. But Brighton are just well run. They recruit well. They've got a terrific manager in Potter who they'll do very well to keep hold of for another year or two. The way he's going, Tottenham and, and Everton really should have been looking at him last year rather than uh, Nuno Espirito Santo and, and Rafael Benitez. I think he'd have been perfect for either of them. And even just for the, the journalism students at the nearby university, they get enviable, like great, valuable match day access there where they're going into press conferences, they're allowed into mix zones, they're speaking to the players, they're speaking to the manager. Um, one of the students was pretty shocked when I said, oh, at Manchester United, they don't even have, <laughs> they don't even, they barely had a mix zone before COVID and they've not even bothered reopening it. Um reopening it this year so you come away from Brighton and everything about the club whether it's the facilities the structure the fact that the train station is right by the stadium as well it's all really really impressive and those United supporters in the away and must have been looking around looking at what was going on the pitch and must be thinking crikey you know we we've fallen behind Brighton and Hove Albion now and they were only promoted to the Premier League for for the first time in in 2017 but that's the way it's going. And that doesn't even feel particularly shocking the way this season has panned out for United. Um, so, I mean, going, I know I've obviously meandered quite a lot there, but going back to the original point of, of midfield, they, they will obviously get one in at least. But, that you know, Rangnick's talking about open heart surgery. One, I mean, you, you do well to find a heart in that Man United team at the moment, but it's you know that that surgery is is probably is probably going to take a hell of a lot longer now than than even he uh, initially expected tired almost feels kind of pointless mulling over individual performances because of all that bad but we've kind of talked between us three the fullbacks they've been quite problematic this season Obviously, I would say Luke Shaw's probably got enough credit remaining in the bank to continue next season, but the rest of them are well below the standard. We've just talked about United kind of needing a new spine, way more than that. Uh, do you think we, we are going to see a new full-back sign? Because Tellez is way below the standard, as Samuel said. Dallo might not like commitment, but he does that quality, and that was evident, I think, for the second goal on Saturday. His positioning was just awful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, I, th- I think Luke Shaw's the only one that's good enough, to be honest. Um, but I think... It, it, this this summer is going to be really interesting to see how, how United go about it because we've talked there about the amount of players they need. They're going to have a slightly reduced budget because they're not in the Champions League. Um, it's going to be slightly harder to attract players. I think they've probably still just about got enough credit for, for being Manchester United to attract players. But, I mean, that is that is running out. Young players in Europe now, you've got to sign 20, 21-year-olds. They'll have no recollection of United ever being a successful football club. Um but the problem is, if you're, you know, United need five or six, maybe starters, maybe more, but they're going to have to split the money to go around. If you split the money, you're almost not building a squad to challenge for the title. You're building a squad to get in the top four, and then you're going to have to dismantle that to build a title-winning squad. And I think midfield is the the prime example. I mean, for me, Declan Rice would be a world-class signing. I think he's a, a, a brilliant, brilliant footballer who is going to go to another level when he leaves West Ham, and I think he'd be phenomenal for United. But he's going to cost £100 million. And if they spend £100 million on Declan Rice, they're going to struggle to fill the other gaps. Calvin Phillips is is a decent player, a decent compromise, I guess. But I don't think he's in Rice's league. I don't think he'll improve United to the same degree. But if you're doing that all over the pitch and making those compromises all over the pitch, you're not improving the team to the degree that you could, really. So it's 
you know, it's how they go about it. Do they do they try and just settle for C-list targets this year because it's cheaper and they can get a squad that's top four worthy? Or do they sign two or three brilliant players and accept that next season there's still going to be holes in the team? It's, you know, it's a balancing act for how they go about it. But in terms of fullbacks, I mean, I don't think there's a good enough right back at the club. Um, I don't think Wan-Bissaka is, is good enough going forward. I think if they can make some money back on him, then they should. I mean, Dallow's still young, I guess. And like I say, you, you can't fix every position. So you're almost going to need Dallow and maybe Tellez as, as, as backup options next year. I think Shaw has, has got to be the starting left-back next season, but I think you need a new right-back to start because I don't think either's good enough. Um, like we say, Dallow is, is positionally for the third goal. I mean, I, I have no idea what he was doing or where he was. Certainly not in the right position. I mean, he was seven or eight yards away from Leandro Trossard. He was on the six-yard box for a back post cross. Um, Wan-Bissaka is better defensively, but he's far from faultless. I mean, he's brilliant one-on-one, but he's, he's asleep a lot when the ball's on the other flank. When the ball's on the opposition's right, the amount of times they cross to the back post and Wan-Bissaka's not on his man or is being outjumped by his man, and it's because he's asleep when the ball's on the opposite side of the pitch. And like, like we say, he's not good enough going forward, and we know Ten Hag is going to want to play attacking progressive football, and I don't see how he fits in particularly. So I think they do need to start in right back. But like I said, there's so many holes in that team that it's impossible to fix them all to the degree you would want to this summer. And if they just put sticking plasters over them, then you might get some improvement, but you're only going to get very gradual improvement. And in three years' time, you might still find you've not got a squad good enough to win the league. I think we could speak for an hour, couldn't we, about the problems. There's just an extensive catalogue of issues at the club and we could just analyse them all day. But Samuel Ten Hag obviously is coming in the summer. Realistically, what can we expect in that one what seven weeks has he got with the with the team when he arrives from Ajax because it's an earlier start of the season or something like that? Realistically, what can we expect? What impact can he have across that time? Uh, Jesus. Uh, well, <laughs> the, the, the important thing is is that, in fairness to Richard Arnold, he is trying to change things now. There there are sweeping changes across the board that needed to have been made many years ago, whether it's looking at the, the, the pathetic social media uh, communication, which um, has been widely derided. I mean, you go back to that Pogba tweet in October, strength and unity, quote tweeting him. I mean, strength and unity are not words that you associate with with Paul Pogba and his Manchester United career. Just embarrassing how they pander to, to star players as they were even still back then. Um, there, there are changes in the communications department. There are changes, obviously, in the scouting department uh, because they've been. I mean, why Marcel Bout was kept on is is beyond me. Uh, we were we were staggered when United tried to um, to justify his existence, um, staying on, given that every other member of Louis Van Gaal's staff uh, left with Louis Van Gaal. Uh, I don't know what Marcel Bout has actually contributed um, to, to United in in his six years as a as a scout. Um, Jim Lawler was just dining off his his glory years with Sir Alex Ferguson over a couple of signings. Um, Matt Judge is of course leaving. Um, again, you know, I, I think that's that's probably the most standout change by Arnold in that they they go back to the University of Bristol. So. That that chumminess that has um, that has been present on the board for far too long at United uh, has has gone pretty much because Woodward has has gone already. 
So you need to make those changes starting from the top. I mean, not you can't do it at the very top because the owners aren't going anywhere. There's there's nothing to indicate that anything is changing there at the moment. So you have to work your way from below that. And yeah, they've they've at least they've got the managerial appointment done before the end of the season. That was the aim. They've they've achieved that and they've got a credible candidate uh, he might not be the man but he's someone that the supporters can can get behind and from the starting position next season I mean the way they're finishing this one uh, it would be difficult to to do anything worse than this season next season so already I think by the way that this season has spiraled that buys Ten Hag some time but United have just got to change the way they approach almost everything uh, whether it's I mean you talk about the incomings, but they will be as judged as much on outgoings this summer. The only player they sold last year was Daniel James, and that's because Leeds had some strange fixation on him and somehow they extracted £25 million for them, from, from Leeds for him. It's just as well there are as many players out of contract this year because you'd have had no faith in Manchester United making significant changes to the squad because they are poor at selling players and they have been poor at selling players for, I, I mean, I, I remember when Yap Stam left and they got an impressive fee for him, but a couple of years after him, David Beckham went for a, a derisory fee. Um, so it, it dates back to, to Ferguson's time, but you've got to be skilled at what you're doing. I mean, we're, we're talking about these suggestions and we're not, we're not we're not directors of football. We're not technical directors or anything like that. We we are very objective. I don't see why United, who have an interest in Paul Torres, don't go to Villarreal, who are a club that have a, that are underpinned by Premier League rejects, and these Premier League rejects thrive there. It is very. It must be very simple to go to Villarreal and say, "Here's Eric Bailly and twenty million pounds. Can we do a deal for Paul Torres?" Then you've got rid of one centre-back who's outstayed his welcome, who has averaged fewer than 20 appearances in six years, which is just mind-boggling. And you're getting in someone who's a starting uh, centre-back for Spain, uh, as, as European pedigree of a Europe, starting in Europa League final, starting in Champions League semi-final, uh, playing at the European Championship is at a good age and would improve the team and would improve the squad. And you're getting rid of someone. If, if Ten Hag wants, provided Ten Hag wants Torres, you should be going out there and trying to do that as soon as possible rather than just waiting and seeing how it pans out. And there's no reason why they shouldn't be doing that with other players. I, I think the supporters would actually cut them more slack if they if they kind of settled themselves short a little bit with the squad, if they got rid of too many players and didn't get enough players in Um you know, because sometimes United operate, oh, well, you know, we'll get this player in if this player definitely can go out. And it doesn't always work that way. But you can't reprieve some of these underperforming players. The amount of players that are truly committed to United in that squad are in the single digits easily. You'd look at De Gea, he's committed. Um, Henderson, he can't be after the season that he's had and he isn't. And you don't blame him, really. Wan-Bissaka isn't. Dallow, I would say, is I would say Maguire is committed. He's been dreadful this season, but I think he is committed to the cause. I watched Lindelof. I can't say he's committed. As I said, he jogs. Varane has been injured too much. 
uh, for you to say that he definitely is. Times when you look at it and his injury record, like he plays for England, then he comes back to on United duty, he can't play for United, and you think he's, he's another one of these players that clearly thrives and enjoys playing for England more than United. There's a question mark over him. But Tomney and Fred are sound professionals. Fred is one of the few outfield players who's actually... Um, not disgraced himself this season. Matic obviously isn't because he's going. Van der Beek definitely isn't. Um, I don't know why I'm even mentioning him while he's out on loan, but he tried to go to Everton in August. So immediately you think this this guy's mentality isn't right, irrespective of the fact that Ten Hag is coming in. Pogba hasn't been for four or five years. Uh, you couldn't say for certainty that Ronaldo is because of how badly it's gone this season, but he can still turn up and he has done. Rashford's considering his future. He isn't. Marshall certainly isn't. Ilanga obviously is. Um, I'm, I'm sure I've missed out some, you know, some, some re- relatively senior players. Oh, Lingard definitely isn't because he's going as well. So it, it doesn't get any close to double figures. So you've got to get them out. And also, I mean, it, it, in two weeks' time, the season will be over and we will be delivering our season inquests. And I don't think there are people at United that realise how toxic that dressing room is. And fortunately, for those of us who've been writing about them across the season, sourcing everything, we'll be able to outline to supporters how toxic it really is. Because, I mean, some of the stuff that I've been told and come across this season, it's it's it's, it's eye-opening. And some, some stuff can't even make print for obvious reasons, uh, legal reasons. And... Something really does make your your stomach churn the way the these players um, act and go about their go about their day job and and that's that's been borne out sometimes on social media. I mean, I was saying to Ty on Saturday, the longer the week went on, the less sympathy there seemed to be for Jesse Lingard not getting a send off. Uh, the way his brothers acted on social media at times and the way he's acted on social media at times. And there have been some great Manchester United players that didn't get send-offs. Steve Bruce and Brian Robson didn't, and they were captains and they were the greatest in their position for the club. So just because you've got, you know, you've got the social media pulpit to air uh, your grievances, it, it doesn't make you any more entitled to uh, to a send-off than uh, as, as, as those genuine legends. And, and Lingard, as good player though he's been for United, he's not a legend. Yeah, so Ty, building on that then, I'd give you the last word. We kind of talked about expectations coming into the summer. What's the bare minimum for Manchester United next season? I don't want to use the word success because it's not going to be success, is it? But what, what do you think is the bare minimum, really? Uh, top six, I guess. Stay stay within the top six. Um, That's why I didn't want to call that success, you see. I didn't yeah, um, I mean, I don't think they're... I mean, they're not guaranteed to finish sixth this year. It wouldn't be, a, I suppose... I'm not sure what the goal difference situation is. West Ham have got that game in hand, but it's against Man City, so it's probably a write-off. So they could finish level on points for West Ham conceivably. I'm not entirely sure. I think West Ham have got a better goal difference, actually. I'm pretty sure I did check yesterday. So conceivably, West Ham beat Brighton on the final day and uh, United lose and West Ham could still finish sixth and United seventh. Um, but I think finish sixth next year. There's lots of ambitious clubs in the Premier League who will have their eyes on on seventh and one of the the big six to four and probably the most likely at the moment is United so I think just top six I think it's got to be a realism I think on the you know you asked before about Ten Hag and um sort of expectations and improvement and I wouldn't be surprised if some players did improve under him fairly quickly I think this is a squad now that has basically not had 
elite level coaching since 2018, basically. I mean, Solskjaer was great at telling everyone how great they are and slaps on the back. Um, but he wasn't an elite level coach. I'm not sure any of his coaches were, were elite level particularly. Although the person that's probably coming out of this season with their reputation most enhanced is Michael Carrick. Um, but beyond that, you know, the coaching, the coaching for a group of players of the standard that most of these are at or should be at United hasn't been good enough. And for for four years, basically now, City's players have been coached by Guardiola and his coaches, Liverpool by Klopp, Tottenham have been getting good coaching under Conte, even Arsenal maybe under Arteta. United haven't had that level of coach. Solskjaer wasn't that level of coach. Ranić might have been 10 years ago, but the game has moved on a lot in 10 years ago. He's not now. So I think once the one thing we know of Ten Hag, or we're told of Ten Hag, is he is a very good coach and that his assistant is a very good coach. So I wouldn't be surprised if having a full pre-season, a pre-season tour, they do get improvement out of players who need that, that coaching, who have probably fallen behind. You know, I mean, it's almost like school, I guess. If you've got a better teacher, you're going to go further. And these players haven't had good teachers now for, for four years. So I wouldn't be surprised. Players like, I mean, Sancho, I think, will, 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 might go to another level with that coaching. Fred, as well. I wouldn't ride Maguire off at all if he... If he Let's go with the armband and get some proper coaching and focuses on his own game. Marcus Rashford, I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Ten Hag got improvement out of him by giving him clear instructions, clear coaching, clear tactical insight, and we might see a, a better Marcus Rashford there. You know, if United sold Rashford this summer, I think there'd be a queue of very good clubs wanting to sign him because they know somewhere in there is a good player, a very good player, and it, it's it's got lost at United because the coaching's been been poor. I mean, a lot of these players simply aren't good enough, but the coaching has got to take... Um, the coaching has been an issue as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of them did improve under Ten Hag just because they will finally have a good coach and they'll probably be quite excited by the prospect of having a good coach. I'd agree with all that. Yeah, 100%. They can't get much well, worse. It, I mean, isn't it amazing as well how... Uh, what month are we in? Like, uh, well, it was even before this time last year, but they thought, well, Ole's the future. Give him a three-year contract. And he's someone who's not, was sorry, was not on the, the training pitches. He wasn't a coach. Mm. And now they are, they, you know, they, it's almost as if they've caught up with everyone and thought, oh, you know what, Klopp, Guardiola, too, cool, these guys, they actually go on the training pitch and they coach these players and they give them an identity. Mm. We should actually get that now. Gary Neville seems to struggle to pinpoint how this season has gone as badly as it has done. And it started with the fact that they had a manager who was never going to win anything with them. And they gave him a three-year contract and then they didn't have a contingency plan. And then the plan they came up with was a just a bad plan. You give it to an interim manager who'd managed 81 games in a decade prior to his appointment. That will really motivate the players. It's had the opposite effect just it's amazing i mean the people on the terraces could run the club better than the people running the club during that period easily i mean think yeah. just sorry so just want to pick up on something samuel said before and touching on on running the club i mean the one one of the sources for hope i guess is that and i mean it's hard for us to fully get a grasp on it because he he will never give interviews um or very rarely give interviews if ever but richard arnold does seem to have an idea of what is required and what, what needs to happen and is trying to make decisions that Ed Woodward simply wouldn't. And I think when, when Arnold got that job in February, I think there was a lot of scepticism from us and a lot of disdain from supporters that basically it was going to one of Woodward's university mates. But what you would say of Arnold is that he has made some difficult decisions already. He has 
rode back on some Woodward decisions. And it does seem that he is, you know, he is he has got a grasp of what is required and that the, the standards at the club are, are nowhere near it. And it's clearly been too comfortable for too long. And at least there's, you know, there's, he's still got a hell of a lot to prove, Arnold. And his, his comments on footballers, as Samuel said previously, about the phenomenal success that Solskjaer was bringing were, were pretty misguided. But, um, you know, if he accepts his strength isn't in football, which is why he's giving more power to John Murta, then it can work. And I think from the decisions he's made so far, you know, I think that should give United fans some hope that there is someone there that can see how this club has gone wrong and, and what needs to change. Because in what's in, in now three months, in three months, he's probably made more bolder and braver decisions than Ed Woodward did in seven or eight years. So I think that's as much as he's, you know, sort of tainted by the past and tainted by association with Woodward. I think there are signs there that he is trying to make some some bold decisions and, and plot a way forward. Woodward has made it easier for Arnold, hasn't he? He's set the quite a, a low bar there. It wasn't high. That's true. Yeah. Those yeah. Yeah. And it'll be refreshing to see a manager that isn't tactically um, incompetent at United in the summer. So, you know, I can't get much worse. Thank you, Samuel, for your time as usual. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you very much, Ty. Thank you, Stephen. And to United fans, let's hope it's not another, yet another post-mortem next week at Crystal Palace. Thank you very much. Take care.